Pastors of Lutheran churches uh, throughout Switzerland were in Geneva for a meeting this past week. And as part of the day, we visited the Red Cross Museum. I know I really should have been there by now, but it was my first visit there. And if you haven't been yet, like me, I want to encourage you to go. It's both informative and very moving. One of the first rooms you enter in the museum is this round space with images of a number of people projected onto the walls. The figures are standing still, and at first I thought they were just photographs. But when you get close, you can see that they are, in fact, video images. These 12 people silently stare back at you, breathing and swallowing and blinking and making eye contact, if you can do that through video. The room is called the Chamber of Witnesses. Through the rest of the museum, these 12 people show up in a variety of sections detailing the work of the Red Cross. In one room, an image of a man with his hand raised like he has something to say is projected onto the wall. And when you walk up and touch your hand to his, he starts speaking and tells about his experience in Afghanistan, losing his legs in an explosion and eventually finding new work and new purpose for his life. In another room, an image of a young woman starts speaking when you sit down opposite her in a chair, and she tells about her experience of a terrible earthquake in China and the relief work and rebuilding that followed. In another space, a woman shares her story of fleeing the genocide in Rwanda as a child with her young siblings. In another, a man speaks about being detained for years without cause in Guantanamo Bay and about the Red Cross messages being the only means he had of keeping in touch with his family back home. It's a profoundly moving way to learn about the work of the Red Cross and very different from sort of a dry history or a bunch of cold facts. You learn through the words of these people and you believe all of them because they look you in the eye and they tell you what they've seen. They bear witness. The language of bearing witness is all over the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. We actually encountered it just a couple of weeks ago on Ascension Sunday. Before leaving his disciples, Jesus tells them that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The call to be witnesses is a familiar one. It shows up again and again in scripture. This summons to share something of what we have seen and experienced with others. And that language of bearing witness is there again in our reading this morning from Paul's letter to the Romans, except that here there is a twist. Here it's not about our call to be witnesses, and there's actually no human witness at all. Here it is the Spirit who bears witness. It's the Spirit who's there to tell the truth. We celebrated Pentecost Sunday just one week ago, marking the coming of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And the Spirit shows up in flashy ways at Pentecost, right? With wind and flame and all these languages. And all of that can and should remind us of the Spirit's work in the world. The Spirit enlivens and enlightens and empowers it brings people together in surprising ways, and it sends us out with a message to share and important work to do. 
we celebrate that active character of the spirit at Pentecost, the spirit that's still moving in our world. So that's Pentecost Sunday. And then today, a week later, Paul pipes up with this very different sort of role for the spirit. So the spirit's not only this wild force of wind and flame blowing through the world and the church, she's also a witness, close at hand with truth to attest to. And what is that truth? Well, according to Paul, it's the truth that we are wrapped up in God's family. We've been adopted, Paul says. We're not just servants or students or groupies or even friends. When it comes to God, we are children. We're part of the family, people who always have a secure identity, who always have a home, who always belong. And if that's not enough, Paul pushes this analogy even further. Because we are children, he says, we are also heirs, even co-heirs with Christ. Don't miss what a radical thing he is saying here. He's saying that Jesus, this one we call God's son, is our sibling, our brother. It's an astounding new reality that Paul is proclaiming here where we are welcomed into the divine household, not as second-class citizens, but as members of the family, as beloved children. It's a lot to take in, and it's not always easy to remember in how messy life can get, which is why we need a witness to assure us that it's so. And the Spirit does just that, Paul says. It's a little different from those witnesses at the museum. There's nobody standing there and looking us in the eye, exactly. But the Spirit does speak up, according to Paul. When we call out to God in trust, speaking like a child to a loving parent, the way Jesus himself did when praying, it is not just us calling out. It is the Spirit bearing witness. It's the Spirit telling the deep truth of things, that we are wrapped up in the love of God, that we are part of the family, God's own children, and nothing can change that. Jim the Boy is a favorite book of mine. I don't know if it's something any of you happen to have read. It's a novel that follows one year in the life of a boy growing up in North Carolina in the 1930s. It begins on the day of his 10th birthday and ends on the day of his 11th. Jim lives on a farm in a small town, and in many ways his life is very ordinary for its time and place. What's extraordinary is his family. Jim's father died before he was born, so he's raised by his mother and by her three older brothers. And these three uncles, Zeno, Corin, and Al, are all lifelong bachelors, and each one lives in his own small house on the same farm as Jim and his mother. And they are really wonderful characters, each one supporting this boy in his own way as he grows. At the end of the book, the uncles take Jim up this nearby mountain for the first time in his life. Jim's father had actually come from a village up on top of this mountain, and it's always been a place that he's avoided so far. But here on his 11th birthday, he feels he's ready to go and see it for himself. 
So they drive their old truck up this winding, switchbacking road, and they find the house where Jim's father grew up and where his grandfather is now sick and nearing the end of his life. And at the end of the day, before driving back down, they sit down by the side of the road, looking down from the mountain toward the valley, where they can even spot the farm, this small place where basically everything Jim knows of the world is located. The sun is going down, and Jim finds himself thinking about the father he never knew, and the grandfather who's nearing the end of his life, and the enormity of the world, and how little he knows of it. And it's all sort of too much for him. He closes his eyes, sitting there for a few minutes. And when he opens them up, there are three faces staring back at him. Hey, says Uncle Zeno. What's the matter? It's too big, Jim says. What is? Everything, says Jim. I'm just a boy. And Zeno looks at these other two uncles there on his left and his right, and he smiles a little. We know that, he says, but you're our boy. It's Trinity Sunday, which I fear when it comes to preaching is sort of an annual occasion for me to tell all of you that I don't really understand the Trinity. It's this day for reflecting on this mysterious claim we make that God can't adequately be described as a single lone being, but must be described as three in one. It's math that doesn't add up, logic that stretches the limits of language and our minds, but I think the Trinity itself, at its heart, is basically an attempt at bearing witness. We speak about God in this strange way, not finally because the creed says we're supposed to, but because it is how people have experienced God through the ages. Christians have experienced this one God as present in three persons. They've experienced the embrace of God as the embrace of a family is being enveloped in this ongoing relationship of love and joy. In case you're keeping score, yes, all three of those persons are there in our reading from Romans, which is certainly why it's appointed as one of the readings for today. And you could slice the text apart and stick it under a microscope and try to come up with precise definitions for what each one of those persons does. But I don't really think that's the point at all. The point is to notice that this is what life in God feels like. It feels like opening your eyes and seeing that you are not alone, but are in fact surrounded by a loving family, holding you in its embrace, assuring you that you belong. The Spirit is there to remind you of that, bearing witness to the truth. In this big, beautiful, messy world that can be utterly overwhelming at times. The triune God holds you in love, claiming you as part of the family. This God looks you in the eye and says it again, just to be sure you know, you're my child. Amen. <laughs>